Good morning, church. Um, I'm Paul Perez. I get to serve on the uh, setup for church in the morning and uh, privilege to uh, lead the Celebrate Recovery Ministry here at uh, LCC. Um, before I get, this, I, like last service, I want to acknowledge the worship band that gets us started in the morning, that gives us the worship before uh, we hear the message. So I'd like to acknowledge Pajin and, and his worship band. So one announcement that I would like to make is that we're going to uh, relaunch the Celebrate Recovery uh, this Friday at that 515 with a tri-tip barbecue, a salad, beans. Um, so I invite you guys to, to come in and join us to, to help you out uh, with any hurts, habits, or hang-ups. Um, I'm going to get my, I'll go give my testimony that night um, from a 12-year-old all the way to 54 years old that I came back to Christ at 54. So um, that sliver of light that you think is not there is there. And it gives us hope to, to come to Christ. And uh, I tell you what, when I did, he turned my life upside down to, to worship him and be obedient to him. And the many blessings that uh, he's gave me is incredible. So I'd like to invite you Friday night at 5.15 uh, to, to come and join us and celebrate uh, Christ, that uh, he can do anything. We're going to read from uh, Luke chapter 15, 11 to 24. I'll give you a minute here to get there. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to, call, to be called your son. Treat me as one of, of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and, and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring a fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. 
and began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Paul. Amen. And as we open the word together, we're reminded um, how words matter. And when you think about it, so many of us have been familiar, maybe heard, maybe we, we read that story. And as we open our, our Bibles, the heading says it's the prodigal son. And as you think about the, the prodigal son and think about the, what that word means, prodigal, Taking a cue from the from the sound booth, uh, the prodigal son. The word prodigal means extravagant. So when you think about the idea of extravagant, A.W. Tozer says this about God's love in his book, The Knowledge of Holy. He says, "Because God is self-existent, His love had no beginning. Because He is eternal, His love can have no end. Because He is infinite." It has no limit because he is holy. It is the quintessence of all spotless purity because he is immense. His love is an incomprehensible, vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. Now, most of you are like me. All you got was the last part. It's a bottomless, shoreless sea. All the other stuff was big words. It's not my vocabulary, but he captures in such a verbose an immense way that God's love is, is so extravagant. It's the prodigal God. And, and knowing in context to remind us, we, we had a, Chris Blake, one of our elders, share, and, and I shared a couple weeks ago on, on these first two stories that set up the third to an audience of irreligious and religious. So the audience being full of religious Jews and irreligious sinners Jesus is trying to get them to experience the extravagant love of God that the religious think they have figured out, and there's no hope, there's no way the irreligious can ever come close. And so he, he shares this, and for most of us, the image that we, we see is, is, is not that verbose and that dense, but it's, it's often quoted similar to the psalmist in the verse we quote so often, 103.13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's easy for us. It's, it's more natural and common to look at a father and a, a daughter or the father and a son's relationship and go, okay, that's good or that's bad or that's healthy or that's not. Um, we don't usually sit with a pen and paper and, and come up with these huge verbose language to describe something. Normally it's, it's a picture. And so Jesus, knowing this, chooses to paint this picture of a, of a prodigal God, an extravagant God. And so often we think prodigal, we go, oh, it's lost. It's the lost son. It's the younger crazy son. It's the rebellious one. There's not a lost God or rebellious God. No, it's this, let's define the word. Extravagant. Let's use that to picture God's extravagant love and how scandalous it really is. As we see, this word prodigal means extremely generous, extravagantly generous and lavish. And, and as we're going to see here, the younger brother is wanting the extravagance. The younger brother is, 
is tirelessly pursuing the extravagant, the lavish. He's just not generous. He's the opposite. He's completely self-absorbed and selfish. And so when we, we look at this story, we have to first acknowledge who it's directed to, the religious and irreligious, and the topic is, and theme is really to get them to see the extravagant, the extremely generous love of God. So as we see the first scene, a young boy, a young brother, who's tired of home. He's sick and tired of being at home. And so he comes to his dad one day and says, give me my share of property that's coming to me. And so the father divides his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country There he squandered the property in reckless living. So he's tired at home. And thousands before and thousands after, we know the reasons why he's tired of being at home. Because his chore schedule, getting him up at 4 a.m. to take care of the cows, the pigs, the chickens, and then come in, clean up his room, do the dishes, it's it's tiring, it's relentless. Do this, do that. You got to take out the trash before you go to school. And then your mom inspects the plates, and they're never done quite as... You know, there's always a plate left out or a bowl. I don't know where the bowl goes. I'm not going to do it. I got to go to school. I got sports after school. I'm tired. How many times was he reminded to put the cap back on the toothpaste? He's done with it. He's like, I'll just buy a new pair, a new toothpaste. I won't worry about it. He's tired of being at home and he longs to be the master of his own life. He's tired of being under the discretion and and the leadership and the care of his dad and mom. And so he reasoned, you know what? YOLO, you only live once and I'm only young once. Just give me my inheritance now and I'm going to go experience all I can for as long as I can. And that's all he thought about was the next day, the next party. And so he goes and he has as much fun as often as he can spending as much money. And it's, it's something that we've seen before. It's this cultural idea of I deserve this, I deserve to be happy. I've talked about it the past couple of weeks, this, this idea that we have the right to be happy. I have the right to be happy and at home, I'm not happy because I'm doing everything for everybody else and it's not fulfilling me. So I'm gonna go live how I wanna live, do what I wanna do and, and I f- forget how it affects any of you. The whole town would have been aghast. They would have been just taken back by the fact that this Dad, this father, successful rancher, dairy farmer, has all this land, all this property, has these two sons, and one of them just says, basically, gives him the finger and takes the money and runs and puts his name through the mud, dragging it, saying, forget you. That's the cultural implication that we miss. We're like, oh, he just wanted his inheritance. No, he's saying, forget you, dad. I wish you were dead. Because when do you get your inheritance? When they're dead. So he's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. You're dead to me. I'm taking my money, and I'm on the run. Which that is shocking. Because again, the religious hearers would have been like, yeah, at least there's going to be peace in the home. Now that the younger brother's gone, they would have been aghast. No way. The dad gave him his inheritance? The dad was willing to be sinned against like that. The dad could have just said, no, get out of here, and kicked him out. Instead, he said, here's your share a third of the inheritance because culturally the older brother would have been given two thirds 
the younger one-third. So he takes his one-third of the inheritance, takes his share. He would have had to sell because it says property. It wasn't just Bitcoin where he transfers it into his son's Venmo. He literally had to sell a third of the vineyard, a third of the cattle, losing face, losing reputation, losing not just that initial, but the continual revenue. Disgrace, complete disgrace. And so they would have been aghast at, oh my goodness, the father, the generous father. Why was he so generous? What was he thinking? And the son, he must have been listening to Frank Sinatra on repeat. And he walks out the door and says, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live my life my way. I would have tried to sing it, but then you probably would have left early. So (laughs) moving on to the lavish life, the younger brother starts singing that song. I'm doing it my way. He sets off for a distant country and squanders everything in wild living, which now that we have social media and YouTube, it's not too much left to the imagination of what that might have looked like. Now, don't go searching on YouTube or Instagram because there's crazy profiles and photos that I'm like, this is the prodigal son who's wanting to look like he's generous, who's wanting to appear like he has this lavish lifestyle. But in reality, it's all fake. And we see the end result. As he goes, and it says, squandered his property a reckless living. In verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. Everything he could taste, everything he could buy to wear, every fancy car he could drive, every party he could host. He was hosting it. He was throwing the parties. He was the person to know. He was the profile to follow. He had all of the girls, all of the clothes, all of the shows, and he had everybody who's anybody coming and, and playing at his parties. I saw this, this uh, famous rapper had this mansion in Canada, and they were talking about all the stuff he had, and I can't even describe or understand half of it. And I thought I was young and hip and like a youth pastor and new stuff. But he had this like crazy amount of money that was uh, invested in the chandelier. They had these special cut glass and and diamonds for the chandelier. And then he had a a whole room for his shoes. It was like $30,000 of just shoes in this room. And then he had a hallway for all of his, uh, all of his jerseys to, to display his jerseys. I mean, that, that kind of gives us a picture of just why not? I'll just spend all this money to just display like I have the resource to buy anything and I can hook anybody up with anything. And the crazy thing is it's like how often are you in that mansion? And there's how many square feet do you walk in? The, you're walking in a hallway. Like you really spent that much on that. But that's, he wanted a hallway full of jerseys. Why not? Just buy it. That's all about him. He was only thinking about himself and he wanted to appear like he had it all together. And so he had all these friends because he would throw the best parties, have the best food and the best wine and the best experience until until the G6s turned into first class on United and then the first class on United turned into the Ubers and then the money started running out even more and so the Ubers turned into the bird scooters and then finally the credit card declined on the scooter. And all of his friends were like, peace out. And then he had no friends, he had no food, he had no home. Now he was hopeless. So he was tired at home, and then he had this lavish lifestyle, so it appeared, until he spent everything, the famine hits, and then he's hopeless. As the famine sets in, Jesus paints this picture for 
the Jew religious audience. They're like, yeah, serves him right. He finally gets what he deserves for sticking it to his dad and dragging his dad's name through the mud. But the irreligious are probably like, that sounds about right. That sounds like my life. And, for, you know, Frank, that sounds like he, what he would want to do. And, and where, where's Jesus going with, with this story? And he says that the, because of the famine, he ended up, in verse 15, hiring himself to one of the citizens of the, that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He, he literally glued himself, he connected himself with a Gentile as a servant, which for the religious Jew, that was the most unheard thing you would ever do. You would not go hang out with a Gentile, number one. And number two, you certainly would not go feed his pigs because that's an unclean animal. So Jesus is just like slapping the religious person around going, hey, you think you got it figured out. Listen to this. Look at this. This is how humiliated he is and, and how much you think He's doing these things that are never going to be forgivable, never redeemable. He was a day laborer, the lowest form of a servant. And his master sent him into the field to feed pigs. It's an unspeakable degradation. The Jews were like, no way. There's no way he would do that. But he lowered himself that low. And then it says in verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with pods, with the food of pigs, which I don't know if you've ever had a pig, uh, my sister got into like 4-H when I was growing up. Uh, after I moved out of the house, we didn't, I was like a surfer, wanted to go to Orange County and surf warm water, nice waves. Then the farm season came and like there's a pig in my backyard. And that was like, uh, that's weird. But then the food that you give pigs, it's all the leftover stuff. Like that's, that's, that's not appetizing. Or, or ground up, great. You're like, why would I eat? I'm not in, in remotely even interested in just sampling some of that. But he's so hungry, he's so desperate that he's looking at this food going, man, that actually looks like something I might want to try. Like, I'm not saying I would like it, but I might try it because I'm so hungry. And then he says, he's like, you know what? Oh my goodness, he catches himself. I've sunk this low. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hired servants that have more than enough bread. How many of my dad's servants have more than enough bread, but I'm perishing here with hunger? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rise up and I'm going to tell my dad, I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so just treat me as one of your hired servants. There's no way I could even think about being your son. Because remember, he took a third of the inheritance, put his dad's name through the mud. The whole town knows he had to sell his property to give the money to his son, which would have been so appalling that would have never happened. And if it did, there's no way to treat your dad like he's dead. There's no way there'd ever be a discussion, much less possibility of redemption. And so he sees this opportunity and he realizes, you know, I, I'm, I know I was sick of home and then I ran out of money, and now I'm sick, and now I'm really realizing I'm homesick. The, the Father, the lavish goodness, unrelenting love of the Father, that, I remember that. Even those times maybe in between the 12th and the 13th drink, he'd have a glimpse of his childhood and remember how good his dad was to him, and he's like, nah, anyways, I'll just drink it. I'm living my best life now. So he thought. 
And now he's like, you know what? I still have those memories. And my dad really was generous. And he really was extravagantly loving. And I know I can go back and at least have a shot at being a servant. Which growing up, you know those friends, dads, who were that way. You know those friends, dads, that were warm and loving and extravagant and caring and would pick you up in their brand new Camaro SS that got delivered off a truck. Growing up, my dad fixed cars. He didn't have cars delivered, just so you know in context. That was like, what are you doing? I'm building the fence for you. You just had this like perfectly restored like 69 Camaro SS just shipped here from Connecticut. Where is Connecticut? Where's my, you know? Like, who is this dad? And he's like, hey, you're done working for me. Let's go buy you Frosties. And it's like, yeah, I'll hang out with, that. I'll hang out with you at your house. Your dad picks us up and tells us he's going to pay us for a day's work, and we're not going to work. We're going to go get smoothies. That's awesome. But then there's other friends, dads, where you don't go over there because you might become the object of the wrath. You know, my friend, we were over at our house one day, and we, we were, he spent the night, and we found my dad had gotten cinnamon rolls the night before, so we dug into those. And the next morning, there was a little tension at the breakfast table. And my dad was like, there's a little mystery that seems to have come up with the cinnamon rolls. There's two missing. And it was funny because my, my friend's dad had uh, passed away. And every time we got together after that, my friend would tell me that story. And I was like, I know my dad's, my dad's like not a jerk, but it's not that funny. And he's like, no, it's hilarious. It's so good. Your dad's so great. I'm like, you know what? When we think about the father, the subtle, quiet, direct comments of a warm and caring father carry so much weight, and they'll never be lost. And here, he realizes, my dad, he is so good to his servants, and here I am such a bad way. I can go home. So I'm going to confess. I sinned against God. I sinned against you. Maybe I can at least be hired back on. So he goes home, and as he's Heading home, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out, go back to my father. I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Amazing change has just taken place. Jesus mentioned this type of change in the Sermon on the Mount when he spoke of the poverty of spirit. He realized he couldn't earn his own extravagant lifestyle. He couldn't earn anything that would satisfy him. Nothing would be enough. And he realized he was desperately broken and in sin. So often I've heard the phrase, he's just sowing his wild oats. Notice the son doesn't come back and say, hey dad, (laughs) good news. All my wild oats have been sowed. They're all gone. I'm here to be faithful to you now. Like good news. Um, My wild oats are done. That season's over. I'm legit now. You can trust me. We're good. He doesn't say that. He says, I've sinned. I've desired things my own way and I've gone against you and I've brought shame upon you and I've sinned against you but more importantly I've sinned against God he has this order correctly he's mourning over his sin and he's meek and he's desperately looking for someone to satisfy his change of mind was not because he was miserable it was driven by these memories of home where he longed to be with his father again He reasoned that it was better to be a servant in his father's house to remain where he was, a servant for a Gentile, still hungry and not able to survive. Have we been there before? Empty. You need work, you need a house, you need food. Like, man, if I just have a spouse, then my life will be better. And we we maybe get some of those things and we're like, yes, I have food, I have a house. And man, I'm still not complete though. I'm not satisfied. 
Because it's not it. It's not the, the temporary, the physical things alone. Jesus says, no, 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 you can't go to in and out and survive on that alone. It's actually the words of God. So it's okay if the pastor goes 10 minutes longer. You'll survive. So I'm grateful for that sometimes. But I'll, don't worry, I won't go too long. So as your, stumble, as your stomach starts grumbling, he thinks, you know what? I need to go and seek forgiveness. I need to go and be made right before God and before my dad. And then maybe at least I could be a servant. He's not saying, hey, I need this. Or I think this. He realizes nothing physically will satisfy. He needs something deeper. He needs forgiveness. Have you been hungry wanting marriage to be in a better spot? Wanting your marriage that's been a little tough to be healthier. Maybe you're an employer and you're like, man, am I known for being extravagantly generous with my employees? How am I known with my employees? Am I looking to invest in them and make them better? Or as an employee, are you working as an extravagantly just desiring them to know God and what you've received from God? And maybe you're sitting here going, man, I've been in sin and I need to be forgiven from God. And we see what the son does And he doesn't realize entirely is that the father has not forgotten. The father has had the image of his son just seared in his consciousness. Every feature and detail about his son, the father treasures. And and the father not only has been doing that, but he's been feeding a calf. Which if you've ever worked with animals before, um, cows, you know, they're like calves when they grow. They, They need to eat and grow before you can kill them and eat them. And so, so he'd been feeding this calf, preparing the calf to be slaughtered. He's been investing his time. He's been investing his resources to make sure there's a calf to be slaughtered. And he's waiting, searching for his son. So when it says that he got up and went to his father, in verse 20, he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The most amazing thing that the father does is he's out on his property, on the highest points of the property, looking, waiting, expecting his son. And he's actively waiting. He's taking care of a calf and his cows and his property, waiting for the son to come. Though covered with rags, something familiar in his son stands out as this figure shows up on the horizon and whether it's the posture or the gait or the way he's walking or he starts to see maybe the 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 beard and, and some scars or something indicates the dad this is my son immediately he's filled with compassion he he geards up his his loins his little robes they would wear and he runs which you don't run if you're wealthy you don't run if you have status you have servants to run for you you have servants that will run faster than you. It's, it's, it's still, it's not dignified for an old, wealthy person of status to run. And he runs to him. And then when he gets there, he's not scolding his son. He's not going, tiss, tiss, tiss with his finger. He's not, lamb, he's not laying it on him going, man, it's about time. Man, tell me how, how bad was it? Are you, have you learned your lesson yet? Are you hungry enough? Go, go clean my... Go clean the stalls and then we'll talk about it later. No, he runs and embraces him. He throws his arms around him and kisses him again and again as the Greek tense demands. This super intense embrace. And then the son blurts out a well-rehearsed confession. Father, I've sinned against 
heaven and against you, and I'm no longer to be called your son, and guaranteed his head is hung low in verse 21, but his father cut him off before he could finish and cries out, quick, bring the robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He doesn't even wait for his son to finish. He doesn't acknowledge the tension. He just doesn't take it as a problem to solve. It's a tension to me. He's like, it's, it's already been paid for. It's already forgiven. When we think about God's love, so often we're the Jew. So often we're the, the religious person thinking that God has a set of do's and don'ts and we're waiting for that. Okay, now that you're back, here's the thing you have to do to earn it. But Jesus isn't talking about the son, younger or older. Jesus is talking about the father. That's the main character. The two supporting actors manage the tension for us to see the problem of sin has already been solved in Jesus. And the heart of the father is what we still try to articulate as Tozer did but for us, until we see how extravagant the prodigal God is with us, he right away is like, you're here. You were dead. Now you're alive. Get the robe. Get the ring. Get the fattened calf. I've been waiting. I've been prepared. Let's celebrate. Let's bring the whole town in and show what kind of transformations happened, what change has happened. So they begin to celebrate. And the father has a servant bring the best robe out, a long, stately garment that reached to the feet, the kind worn by kings, which reminds us of another robe. If you're familiar, in the beginning of the Bible, there's a robe given to Joseph, which made his brothers mad too. Older brother's not too stoked. Wait a minute, he gets the robe? That's supposed to be my robe. He gets the robe. Clothing, maybe some tattoos, maybe some scars, maybe some dirt, wraps him, comforts him. You're you're now adopted back as my son. The, the ring was thrust on his son's finger, the symbol of sonship and power. And finally, new sandals were strapped on his calloused feet. And you think about sandals, the intentional part of putting sandals on his feet, putting shoes on his feet, is the servants, the slaves were barefoot, but the son wore sandals. So maybe today as you wiggle your toes and your warm Shoes when it's cold outside. I, I full confession. I didn't wear sandals to church. It was freezing this morning. <laughs> Thought about it. Wasn't man enough. The reality is like we don't have these layers that the audience was supposed to be hit with. The power of shoes. You read that. You're like, yeah, of course. I mean, he's probably got shoes. I mean, the Goodwill Echo. Like, there's free shoes all over the place from the riverbed. I'm sure there's a ton. Of, this is an amazing extravagant, purposeful display. The father says, no, 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 you're not even going to have a, a chance to think that you're lower than a son. Get the shoes on his feet. Get the robe wrapped around him. Get the ring on his finger. The experience. Jesus is all about this experience. This is the furthest thing from religion. This is the furthest thing from, hey, go do this. The fact he's in the presence of the father it's done. Your sins are forgiven. We don't need to talk about it. We have to celebrate. Why are we going to talk about hurtful, shameful, painful things? 
I've made all those things come untrue, and now what's true of you is you're my son. Let's focus on your identity with me. Let's celebrate. Let's have the whole town recognize it's all about this transformation. So the sandals, as he runs and kisses him, it's scandalous. You can't do anything that will keep him from running to you, wrapping his arms around you, kissing you, and bestowing the robe upon you, adopting you as sons and daughters. And the powerful prodigal God gives him a ring, gives you and I a ring that says that all business dealings, all authority from the Father has been given to the Son, has been given to us as sons and daughters to go and do what God's commanded. The crazy thing, Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than Jesus. So read the Bible and figure out what he did and then expect that God's going to tell you to do greater things. And the ring is a reminder of the prodigal God's scandalous love for you, his extravagant power given to you. And lastly, he's personal. The sandals remind us of this personal relationship. It's not religion. It's not saying, oh, you're not good enough or you need to do this or you need to earn this or prove it or show that you're really repentant. It's the fact that he came and said, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against you. And the father's like, you're repentant, you're forgiven. It's already, all of this has been removed. And there's only two qualifications for this. Is first, we see ourselves in sin, spiritually dead, before we can see God as our Savior and our true Redeemer. And second, once we see ourselves in sin, then we return to the Father. And many of you and I, we've been there before. But may we see the Father's heart for those in our position where we once were and remain excited that God is the prodigal God with the extravagant love, with the scandalous love, wanting to adopt sons and daughters who are far from him. And the joy of the party described is no exaggeration. And it's like any earthly illustration. It it fails apart at some point. But Jesus says that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need not repentance. And earlier in the chapter in verse 7, the crazy thing is in heaven, if you're familiar with heaven, the angels are saying holy, holy, holy constantly. So if the angels are singing holy, 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 who's rejoicing? It's God, the Father, the main character of the story. Jesus is saying God in heaven who you've sinned against is saying, everyone look, I've saved another one. Let's celebrate. And it's a huge party. The difference is in the response between the older and the younger. We had to move things around a little bit. And and Matt's going to be sharing next week because of the the weather postponed a soccer tournament. I volunteered to coach as the all-star soccer coach for U12. And so I went to Matt and I said, hey, here's what we're looking at. And he was like, no, totally flexible. Actually, it's probably better. The Holy Spirit's telling me to talk more on this. And last week we did a little little more vision. and, And as I looked at this, I've taught this so many times trying to do all at once, but I've always had the tension of we need to slow down and see the heart of the father with just the prodigal son. Just the son who thinks he can earn extravagant love, but realize he just needs to stay with his father to have that extravagant love. And then Matt's going to share with us next week, preparing our hearts on how easy it is to drift into the, the older brother. And really, pull us back once more and say, okay, the goal though is to get 
the heart of the Father, to allow that extravagant love to flow to us from the Father and through us to those around us, especially those who think that living their life their own way is the only way to have that extravagance and that overabundance of love, but really it's coming to the Father. We look at it, they had the same dad, they experienced the same love as the older brother's like, Dad, why can't I have a party? And the dad's like, at the end, dude, son, you've been with me this whole time. Everything I have is yours. What are you, you're so selfish, but you're so self-righteous. You missed it. And that's how it ends. Jesus is like, it's all about the Father. And the religious people miss out on the Father's heart and what the Father really is like and what the Father really wants. And so as we end thinking for a moment, may we reflect and realize that the heart of the Father is so extravagant. It's so relentless as it pursues us and desires us to know his plan for us and we see that as Jesus revealed it to us and said look all of God's wrath is on me you're forgiven so if you've yet to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you've thought man I'm too far gone or I need to work my way I'll I'll be a slave I'll come to church and I'll take out the trash every Sunday and work my way no you're a son you're a daughter he's gonna wrap you in that robe adopt you as that son as scandalous as that is and put sandals on your feet and a ring on your finger and say now go serve one another as I've served you go love one another as I've loved you that they may see your good works and glorify God so we have work to do and I'm inviting you to join us if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior as I close in prayer may you respond now and then we'll baptize you next week as that public display of that personal confession and then maybe for you it's it's a reminder of God's love for you as a believer that's who I was. That's not who I am. I'm a son or daughter of the King. And then I'll, I'll come back up after I pray and give you a moment for communion. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for another Sunday. We can, we can proclaim that you came, you saved, you sought those wayward, wandering sons and daughters who thought we could find satisfaction or extravagance apart from you. But really, God, really... There's no contentment and no satisfaction without forgiveness and redemption found only in your son. We acknowledge those that are here for the first time maybe are acknowledging with me that that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus, you are that savior, your king, your Lord, and you died in my place, rising again to give me new life, adopting me as a son and daughter, wrapping me in your love, As scandalous as that is, someone so far from you, you showed me your love by sending your son to die on the cross in my place. Lord, we pray that they would respond now and and let us know so we could walk with them and encourage them as they follow you. For those of us that have been believed for, for some time, may we not get distracted in the things that we might do or could do and feel we should do instead of being enthralled by your love that is so extravagant and relentless and limitless, that we would allow it to control us, consume us, and that we would be so passionate about sharing that love as it flows through us to others around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you a few minutes for the elements to be passed around for communion, and then I'll I'll give you a minute and I'll come back up and, and close this.